Amen. Before you sit down, can we just praise our Lord Jesus Christ by clapping our hands to Him today? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and go ahead and grab a seat if you can find one. Okay, it's a full house this morning. We want to welcome you. Thank you for being here to the, at the second service. There's a couple of seats up here on the front rows here. So if some of you are still looking for a seat, you can go ahead and, uh, and, and move on up and uh, we won't think anything of it. And so, wow, what an incredible time of worship, church. Amen. Just celebrating the Lord and we celebrate all that he's doing in our life right now. He gives us hope right now, but we also just in our worship this morning, just celebrating the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. And that's what a little bit about what I want to talk to you about this morning. And before we get into the word of God, you can go ahead and start turning in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's going to be our main text for today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, and while you're turning there, let me just tell you just a just I just want to say just a big thank you to you. OK, um, your, your pastors, we want you to know how much we appreciate you and your faithfulness, your faithfulness in your attendance, your faithfulness in your generosity. Um, let me just tell you about the last month that we just came out of. Not only was this last summer here at Eagles View Church the best summer we've ever had at Eagles View Church, the last month, which was a summer month, which traditionally is kind of a lower attended, lower giving, lower just everything. I mean, people are gone. Last month was the Biggest and best month that Eagles View Church has ever experienced in 15 years of being in existence. And, and we can just praise God. And that was with that was on a Sunday where we had a rainy Sunday morning, which, again, folks a lot of times don't always come on those Sunday mornings. And that was also with a holiday weekend. And God just continues to bless. And, and because of your generosity, we were able to pay off the land last month. We we're getting ready to take our next steps. And, yeah, you can praise God for that. And, uh, and, and, and just listen, because you've been so generous and you've served in so many ways. I fully believe that's why God is blessing EVC. It's because of what he's doing through you, you and your faithfulness. And, and it's an honor. It's a privilege to get to serve you and to, and to be a pastor here. Uh, your pastors, we're having a blast. I mean, we are having a blast just watching what God is doing through you. And because you've been so generous, uh, we've been able to just continue to reach out and, and just we've been, been able to minister as a church to more people who have had needs in the benevolence area than ever before. We've been able to expand in our children's ministries and student ministries and church planning in Montreal and the great work in Honduras. And do you just see how just as you continue being faithful more and more, God is just blessing that he's pouring out those blessings and I'm just humbled. I'm humbled to get to be a part of it. And I just wanted you to know how much we appreciate your faithfulness. And so, and so as God's doing all this, as you can see, he's continuing to entrust into our care great things, church. And as I said last week, and I'll continue saying this to us, to whom much has been given, much is what? Required. Much is expected. So we want to be greatly responsible with what he's trusting into our care. And so we're in this series called Big Questions. We've been looking at some of the questions that a lot of times we as pastors will get. A lot of times you get questions like this when you're out in the marketplace and people are wanting to know a little bit about your faith and why maybe you're so different and that you have hope in difficult times. And so we've been looking at some of these difficult questions. And, and you know, what I've noticed over the last few weeks, particularly is when, you, when big questions are addressed, they usually come with weighty, heavy answers. And, and, you know, and so when you talk about, I noticed these last few Sundays have been kind of heavy and, and, uh, and we don't want to shy away from that. I struggled with that a little bit because I love to, I love to encourage. I love to, you know, to, to really just encourage you to give you something to be encouraged by. But you know, these last few weeks, we've talked about real life stuff. We've talked about pain and sickness and suffering and death. And, you know, all just really light-hearted things to discuss with the people of God, right? I mean, these are heavy, heavy questions. And I was talking to my wife about it, Hope, and I was talking to her about that, and she said, Bart, this is the stuff that people are dealing with. I mean, these, these are things that people are, are wrestling with, with, with illnesses and difficulties and hardships in their life. And so, and so I just really, I, I, you know, I love to, to joke around. I love to have a good time and be a goofball a lot of times, but... You know, it's kind of hard to do that whenever you whenever you're preaching about these kinds of weighty issues. It's you know, you don't want to be like, hey, did you hear the one about the guy that got sick and died? Hey, hey, but I'm you. you know, it doesn't work like that. Right. 
And so I hope you know my purpose has not been to discourage you as we've talked about these, these heavy issues. But here is the bottom line that I come to when, I, when you're talking about all of these heavy things and real life stuff that people are dealing with. Here is the bottom line that I've been trying to point you towards over these last few weeks is that this world is broken. It is hopeless without and apart from Jesus Christ. There is no hope. Amen. I mean, Jesus is our hope. He is the only hope, I should say. And there are people that that don't have the hope that you, at least, as you discuss these kinds of weighty issues. There are so many people out in our community and where you work and where you go to school that they don't have the same kind of hope that you have. And may God give us a burden for them and understanding that there is so much pain in this world. But we've been pointing you to Jesus. We've been pointing you to him as the anchor for your soul and the hope for you when you will go through hard times. What we've been saying week after week, church, is this isn't heaven. This is a broken world. We've been singing a little bit about about our future hope. And that's some I mean, God not only provides hope for us in this world right now, but he gives you a different perspective. He gives you a future hope because of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Jesus is our hope. Amen. He's our hope. And we rest in that. My parents were traveling this past week and uh, and I was getting the message ready for this upcoming week. And I was, again, just really just asking the Lord to give me something to encourage you. And just to point you to Jesus. And, and I was, you know, kind of struggling a little bit about, I just was like, Lord, I want to give them something hopeful. I want to give them something they can cling to throughout the week as they go through difficulty. Father, just give me, that was my prayer, just give me something. And my mom, interestingly enough, shot me a text of, of a church that they passed. And, and uh, I don't mean to make too much fun, but I did think this was kind of funny. And she thought it was funny, but that was the name of the church. And I'm sorry if that was your church growing up or if your grandma goes there. I don't mean to make too much fun, but I was just thinking someone didn't think that one through too much. All right. I'm a church planter. And so, you know, you want to see, you know, words mean something. And so, you know, and, and again, and I was like, was that the name of the town? She was like, that's not even the name of the town. And I'm like, couldn't it have been a lot of hope Baptist church? I don't know something. It was just, it was just funny to me. And, um. But, you know, we, you know, we have serious questions require serious and truthful answers. And, and I've just been praying God would encourage you as we look in First Thessalonians. We're also going to look at Titus first, but First Thessalonians 4 is where we'll be. As you're getting there with me, a question that I get on a regular basis, I got this from somebody just even a couple of weeks ago, was this, is, is what happens to believers when they die? What happens to them? What happens to their bodies? What happens, you know, to their spirit? Are, you know, do they go into something that some will call a soul sleep where, where they're just there and, and kind of nothingness until the return of Christ? I mean, th- th- this person who asked me this, they were really kind of struggling with this. There had been a, a loved one that they had lost and they just weren't sure about what was going to happen. And let me just be very clear. There is not time for me this morning to discuss all of the aspects of heaven. When Randy said, we're going to talk a lot about heaven this morning, I panicked a little bit and like, I, I'm not wanting to get your hope up that I'm covering everything about heaven. It's not possible. Okay. I mean, that, that could be a series that goes on for eternity. Really? Um, we're not going to talk about every aspect of the afterlife. We won't be able to have time to talk about all aspects of what is called eschatology and eschatology. Don't let that word scare you. It's just a theological term for the study of last things. It's a study of end times. And it's important that you as a believer, that you begin understanding some of these things As you'll see that Paul says this. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed brothers. I want you to know a little bit about these things and you'll see why he wants you to know them here in a minute. And so I won't have time to get into all these things. And, and so forgive me if I leave some really, really important things out. Maybe we'll hit it on another week. So I just want to focus on something that Paul was dealing with at the church at Thessalonica. He was dealing with some big questions himself. They were people in Thessalonica who were believers were grieving the loss of some of their Christian loved ones who had preceded them in death. And they were wondering with a big question, what happens to them? What's going on to these who have died? Where are their bodies? What will happen to their bodies? Big questions. And 
They were troubling questions to these believers, these new believers in Thessalonica. They were really struggling with what was, was hap, had happened to their loved ones. They wondered if, if they were even being punished or are they going to miss out on the, what's called the, the gathering of the church or the rapture or the resurrection of the body. Death, you need to understand, is a fearful thing apart from Jesus Christ. It is a fearful thing, especially when there's no hope attached to it in Jesus. It is a scary thing that people are dealing with. Whenever the reality of it confronts you or it confronts one of your loved ones. And so these these believers uh, in Thessalonica had some ignorance about what happens here, uh, especially to the believers who would die before the return of Christ and the, the rapture of the church. And thank God he doesn't give us little hope. He gives us what's called a blessed hope. He gives us a blessed hope in Titus. That's the way it's described in, in chapter two, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to, what does it say, church? To all people. God wants people to hear His message of hope and His message of truth. And we are instructed, now listen, to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this, what is he, how does He describe this world? Evil. So you're not escaping this yet. We've been talking about the brokenness of the world and the suffering in this world. He says, live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness and devotion to God, he says. That's your present reality. That is how you as a believer are. To, you're not to deny the fact that this world is hard. It's broken. It's messed up. It's described as very evil. And you see it. It almost appears as if it's spinning out of control before our very eyes. Doesn't it seem that? way i mean when you just watch the the news and you see all the the horrific things that are happening and you see that it's very broken but he says as a believer you're to live with wisdom righteousness and a devotion to god in your present reality don't stick your head in the sand recognize this now look at what he says in verse 13 you live with an understanding of the present reality but the whole time while we look forward with, what's the word, church? Hope. We look forward. That's what we were doing. We were singing those songs this morning. We were looking forward. Amen? We were looking forward to what God has done because of Jesus Christ and what he will do. We look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed he says this is the world you're living in right now but you are to be different you're to be different in the manner in which you live you live with a different perspective you understand things differently because of what christ has done in your life and so you can live that this is not with an understanding that this is not all that there is this is not heaven but many people, you realize, many people that you work with and that you are with in your neighborhoods, for many of them, you see how this world in which they look could be very hopeless. Right? I mean, may we never forget that. That's why we do what we do. That's why we planted Eagles View. It's because people are hopeless without Christ. They are hopeless and they need to know his gospel and his good news and his hope. So Paul is dealing with these new believers at Thessalonica. They were, they were feeling hopeless as believers. And it was because they were ignorant about the Lord's coming. And, and they weren't quite sure. They had come out of paganism, a powerless paganism and idol worship. And big questions were emerging for them. And Paul's going to address some of the big questions they were living with great anticipation of the return of Christ, as you'll see in chapter 1. But they didn't know really what had happened to their, their fellow believers who had already died. 
So they were feeling very, very much grief-stricken without hope because of that. And Paul's going to address it. In chapter 1, verse 9, he's going to speak to the Thessalonians. He's going to say, you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they, that's the people who have taken notice of your faith, people around you, people that, were, that you work with, people who are in the marketplace, and they take notice. They speak of how you are looking forward. Do you see? There's an anticipation again. You are looking looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. Amen? He raised Him from the dead. He is the one who has, look at this word, rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have been rescued out of that. You don't have to fear death any longer. You don't have to fear the coming of the Lord. You live with a great anticipatory hope. Each time one of these beloved brothers or sisters in Christ in Thessalonica physically died, questions were getting stirred up. They were so eagerly anticipating the coming of Christ that they struggled with the the questions of their loved ones who died. They were anticipating Christ's return in their lifetime they were very concerned about this. Paul, Paul was, they were wondering, Paul, are they going to miss the great gathering? Are, are they being punished because they're, now they're going to miss out on this? And so they were concerned and, and they were living with little hope. Paul's going to write this section to really pastor this group of people. It is a theological section, but it's also greatly pastoral. It's, it's given, the information is given not just to, so you can kind of geek out or nerd out on the information. The information is given so that you would have the information to find comfort in it, to be comforted by it. And so let me say that the intent of Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit, not in this particular section to give a, a complete front to back, top to bottom, reason, detail, or total eschatological explanation of every single little detail there are some things that have been left mysterious, but there are also some things that have been revealed. There's some things that have been shown to us. He was there to seek to comfort and encourage the grief in their sorrowing hearts. Some of them wondered maybe if this death that, the, that these believers had faced was a judgment where God was disciplining them. Was their punishment perhaps to miss out on the gathering or the rapture of the church? Would they somehow not participate in all the gathering in this trip to heaven? Would they remain as just bodiless spirits? You know, kind of floating around, never knowing the, the complete translation or transformation of their bodies into the likeness of Christ in what is called the glorified state. Would they somehow be considered lesser saints? These were big questions. That's what they were wondering. And they were deeply grieving this. So Paul writes to alleviate their grief and to provide them with hope. In chapter 4, verse 13, reading in the ESV today. But we do not want you to be, what does he say? Uninformed. We don't want you to be uninformed. So there may be some today that would say, is it really all that important, Bart, that we talk about these things? Is it important that we discuss eschatology? I mean, shouldn't that stay in the seminaries? Listen, Paul says it right here. We don't want you brothers to be uninformed. You are to understand and to begin understanding these things because it changes your perspective when you get it. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, what is the word that he uses here? Asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no Hope, he says, I don't want you. He said he doesn't say it's wrong to grieve here. We're all going to grieve loss at times in our life. But he says, I don't want you to grieve as the rest of the world. He's not being insulting to them. He's not being overbearing with them. He's saying in a pastoral way, it is imperative for you to get this truth. And when you get this truth, it changes the way in which you live because you don't live with a fearful reality of death as the rest of the world does any longer. You, you're not living as those, as those who are lost or the people outside of the kingdom of God who, who see death as final, who see it as a permanent parting. He's saying, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. I want your perspective to be changed because of the truth of Christ. 
Jesus changes everything. And, and whenever he changes everything in our life, he changes the way that we live. But he also changes the way in which we die. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it changes everything. Your death is not even the same as the rest of the world any longer. And because he changes everything, it changes your perspective. A lost and hopeless world around you notices that there's something different about you. There's something different. There's a different approach to death than the rest of the world has. It's not that we are eager for it. It's just that we have no reason to be afraid of it. We don't have a reason to fear because we know that we are secure and sealed in Christ. So you say, what does this mean for us, Bart? What does it mean at EVC 2,000 years later? We recognize the seriousness of the depravity and the suffering in which you and I, we live in every single day in this present world. But we do not live as those without hope. We are different. Paul's really going to focus in on a particular group of people. He's going to focus in on a group that he calls asleep. Those who are asleep in Christ. He mentions them in verse 13 and verse 14 and verse 15. And why does he mention them so frequently? It was because it was their greatest concern at that moment. They were really wondering. They weren't questioning the return of the Lord. They were wondering what was happening to these loved ones who had died. And you may think, well, how does this affect me? Well, it's, it's a big question that I get. It's one that people ask. Today, they, they, were th- you know, they were asking it back 2,000 years ago, and, and, and here we are 2,000 years later, and, a, and you know, a whole lot of Christians now fall into that category, right? You know, um, I'm not much of a numbers person or into statistics. Karen Schwager, our, our financial administrator, she's the one that makes all the graphs and the charts, and she's into statistics in an amazing kind of way. But I'm smart enough to figure this out, that death seems to be batting 1,000, It affects you, right? Until the return of Christ. I would even ask it this way. How many of you have had a loved one pass away? A loved one in your life who was in Jesus Christ that passed away. Would you just raise your hands just this morning? See, it affects you. It affects you. It affects not only you, it, affe- it affects not only your eternity, it affects, it affects you because of people in your life that you wonder as you've wondered what has happened with them. It affects us all. So with that in mind, let me point you to this passage of hope. You see, Paul characterized those believers who have died as asleep. Why does he use this terminology of sleep? Man, don't you just love sleep, right? All right. Christians who have died already, who will die prior to the return of Christ... Do not experience death in its fearful reality. He doesn't use the word death here, um, although their bodies physically die. Because of their life in Christ, they have been transformed into sleep. The difference between sleep and between death is this word. It indicates this status to be temporal. Just as you expected to wake up this morning, right? So will your body wake up. Okay, and here's what he's saying here. Now, you should understand when a believer dies prior to the return of Jesus Christ, or let's say prior to the return or or the rapture of the church, the snatching away, as we'll look at in a minute, the spirit, their spirit goes to be with the Lord immediately. Their spirit is in the presence of the Lord immediately. I don't have time to get into all these passages, but that's why Paul would say things like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why Paul would say things in Philippians like it's far better as he was suffering greatly, far better to depart and to be with Christ. He would say these kinds of things. Their body, however, goes into the grave and it returns to the dust from which it was created. Their bodies return to this, and, 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 but not permanently, only to sleep until it is awakened someday by the call of Christ. They didn't know how or, or when or where or what, and so they were grieving for their loved ones. They were grieving. Now, Paul, next church, he's going to begin to explain some of the features of what's called the catching away of the church. It's referred to by some as the rapture. And that word is not actually used in the scripture, but neither is the word Trinity. But we understand that the concept is there. 
The concept of Trinity is there, right? And the concept of rapture comes from verse 17 where he says, they shall be caught up together. Caught up is a, is a word, it's a term where we, where we get this word rapture, to be snatched away. It has to do with the catching away of the church, the taking up of the church. And it's a, in fact, in its original language, it's a violent word. It's a word that is to be taken by force is the way that it actually translates. It's, it's a violent word. It's sudden. It's instantaneous. Not violent in the sense that you'll be harmed in it, but it's that in the sense that there's nothing that's going to be able to stop it. And so this is what is being said. It's another way of describing it is almost as a, as a kidnapping, a, a taking with force suddenly. Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that it happens in the twinkling of an eye. And that's not even just a blink of the eye, which that's fast enough for me. That's how fast light crosses across the pupil of the eye. I mean, I, I, that's fast, right? Okay, it happens this fast. So Paul lays out some truths concerning what is, again, what is called or understood as the rapture of the church. And what is held in what, what uh, there are a lot of things that we could get into here, but there, again, there's not time. But, but I want you to understand the approach from which I'm coming at this is from what is called a premillennial viewpoint, okay? It's a premillennial, pre-tribulational view of eschatology. And you may not agree with me on that, and that's okay. The essential of it is this, is that Jesus is coming back. That is the essential. And we continue to try to study and understand, and it appears from what we can see that, that, that he does give some, some answers to some of the big questions about this. And so let me just let me just share just very briefly a little bit about this. And I, I think it's important that you understand this. There would be some preachers today that would say, ah, you don't want to bog people down with that. I think it's important that you get this. I think it's important that we as pastors not be insulting to think that the people of God can't understand these truths. And so and so and that it's not just for seminary. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. I want you to get it because it affects your perspective. And so, again, you may not agree with, with uh, this particular uh, position that's held, but that's okay. You can disagree. Um, but, but this is the approach that I'm coming at this from this morning. And so a pre-millennial a pre means this, is that it's the return of Christ happens prior to an actual and literal what is called the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, which is called the millennial kingdom there, okay? Uh, Pre-tribulational means this. It's meaning that the church is caught away or snatched away prior to what is known as the seven-year tribulation period. The seven-year tribulation period. Now, I'm going to give you a very, very basic image just so you kind of get an idea of, of kind of how this flows together and what we're talking about a little bit today. This is a, an image, a very basic image. There are all kinds of other little things that could be put in there, okay? But it would bog you down in the time that I have today. And so you can, you can see there is the church uh, that happens because of, of Jesus Christ and the cross. And, and where that first little line is, is where the, what is called the rapture of the church happens. That instigates what is called the tribulational period. Again, a lot of things that could be said about that. The second advent is the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, the, the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ from this viewpoint are two different things. They're two separate things. And when Jesus Christ returns at the end, the church will already have been with him. And we will be returning with him where he will set up his millennial kingdom here on this earth for a thousand year period. At the end of what is called the thousand year millennial reign, there will be what is called the great white throne judgment that is not for you if you are in Jesus Christ. Amen. You, you don't want to be at that one. And then what is called the eternal kingdom is established. The eternal kingdom. Okay. So again, there's so much that could be said about that. But let me give you some thoughts and we'll close with some application. I don't want to just give you a bunch of information. I want you to take this and I want you to be able to apply it and understand why you can have hope. 
Why you can have hope in this world. The big questions that were coming up that Paul addresses is why could they even be hopeful? That's the foundation or the pillars of this hope that the rapture is built upon. Who can have this hope? Who, who are the participants? What is going to happen at the snatching away of the church? What is the plan? And then what is the benefit for you as a believer here today? So let me just give you some things to write down quickly is why could they be hopeful? Why Paul's going to unveil that? Why can you be hopeful today? He's going to give you something just really quick to show you that you may not grieve. He says that you may not grieve as others do. That's those who don't have Jesus Christ, who have no hope. Now look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus, what does it say, church? He died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Amen? Your hope is built upon the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without that, do you understand? We don't have hope. We are hopeless without the death of Jesus. We are hopeless. And Paul says we are pitied of all men, he says, if we do not have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why we not only celebrate Easter one time a year, we celebrate Easter every single day of our life. He's changed everything. Amen. He's changed everything. And so because Jesus has died, your sins have been paid for. And now you are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been his righteousness has been imputed to your account. It's and you have exchanged your sin for his righteousness. And now when Jesus comes for you, you don't have a reason to be ashamed. Not because of who you are, because of what he's done. Amen. Because of what he's done for you and for me. And so he's paid for our sins. He's made it possible. The catching away is built on, on not just some philosophical speculation. It's not some theological whimsy. But it's on the death of Jesus that was the perfect satisfaction for all of sin. For those who have believed. For those who have believed. He fulfilled the conditions for the forgiveness of sin. He transformed death. He's changed not only our life, he's changed our death into merely sleep. That's why Paul could say things like, uh, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? It's been taken out because of Jesus' death. But not only did he pay for our sin, God raised him from the dead. And he also conquered not only sin, he conquered death when he was raised back from the dead. Amen. And, and this, so, so he conquered sin in his dying. He conquered death in his resurrection and in his living. And that's why the, this is this pillar that this is built upon. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? As God raised Jesus, he'll raise the rest of us who are in Jesus Christ. You have that hope. Jesus said in John 14, 19, because I live, you shall live also. Amen. It changes your life and it changes your death. God will treat dead believers the same way that he treated Jesus by raising their bodies, a physical resurrection, a bodily resurrection uh, for those who say that it's that it's not a bodily resurrection that Jesus experienced. I think that that is a that it, that is a false way of understanding this. I think it's a false teaching because we see that that he begins to talk about this. Paul talks about it all in first Corinthians chapter 15. God will treat, that's his, uh, treat us in that same manner in which Jesus was treated. That's his promise, is a bodily resurrection. And when God comes in his great and glorious return of Christ, God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus Christ. He brought them just as he brought Jesus back from the dead. The picture is a marvelous one. It's amazing. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14, Jesus would bring comfort to his disciples who were also grieving um, his departure. And this is what Jesus would say. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. That's the way that it's literally translated there. It's, it's, it's a better word than mansions. I hate to tell you that, but I'm telling you, it's still going to be good, right? Okay. The, the, the point is, is that there's a lot of room for us. There's a lot of space 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So again, don't get so caught up on that one word. If Jesus is preparing it, you can know it's going to be good. Amen? It's going to be just fine. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You will be in the presence of the Lord. It's a comforting passage. It's there to comfort the disciples. Jesus said, I'm going, but I'm coming to, to I'm going to get a place ready for you. I, I'm, I'm coming and I'm coming to take you with me to that place that there you there I am. You will be with me. God will bring us up out of the graves who are dead and take us to glory. This is what he's saying here. Now, remember, their spirits, those who have preceded us in death, their spirits are already with the Lord, but the body will be resurrected at the catching away. It will be resurrected, joined to that spirit, which is already in the presence of God. And I don't understand exactly how all that's going to happen. That is a great mystery. And God is God and I am not. But he he begins to talk about how this begins to happen. And again, first first Corinthians 15 speaks more of this. And and the combination of that spirit um, where God breathed into the dust of the earth and, and that man was given a spirit, he was given a soul. The combination of that being joined with that that body that was made out of the dust, that is a combination of what is called the glorified saint. Where your salvation is now complete. You have been justified. You are being sanctified. And you will be glorified. It is a process of your salvation. It's a process. Notice he says they can be hopeful. Not only because of the death and the. I'm preaching right out of my shirt this morning. Sorry about that. I'm a little excited. All right. New fashion. He says in verse 15, he says, you, you not only can be hopeful about this because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He said, I'm going to give it to you in an authoritative way. Jesus re- has revealed this to me. That's what he says. For this, we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That's authoritative. Paul's saying, this is not some speculation. This isn't me just kind of just trying to, you know, prop you up and make you feel a little better about things. Paul says, I've been given. This actually is a divine utterance. It came from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit to Paul to be able to give to the Thessalonians and other believers that we who are alive. Paul's talking about himself here. Who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The other part of that foundation is its direct revelation from Christ. By the word of the Lord, he's saying this isn't just my opinion. This hope you have is authoritative. It's something that you can bank on. It's authoritative. So Paul is is not some whimsical theological speculation. It's built on the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the authority of the revelation of God. So you can know that and you can hope in that. Now, who is it for? Who is this for, this kind of hope? Who can have this kind of hope? What did the Lord say to Paul about this event? He says that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There are two kinds of people who have the hope of this reunion, the people who are alive in Jesus Christ and the people who are dead in Jesus Christ. Not those who are dead apart from Christ. And I don't say that with any glee. I say that with much brokenness of heart. That is why we are here. That is why we are doing what we are doing. People need the gospel. Amen. Not only for what's just happening in their life right now. They need the gospel because of what is coming. What is happening in this future? Who is it for? It's for those who are in Jesus Christ. In Christ is the key. Notice Paul uses the word we here. Whenever he's talking about we who are alive. Does Paul think that he'll be alive whenever this happens? It it, it appears in many places that Paul lived with that kind of anticipation. Like he was waiting for it at any moment. And And he was living this. And we should live in this same kind of manner. Um, To where we are anticipating the return of the Lord uh, as many early Christians did. And they did not see it with their own eyes at that moment. 
But this is why Paul uses we who are alive and remain. He used, Paul lived with a great balance of anticipation of our future hope. He said, until that time happens, though, he said, church, let's go to work. Let's go to work because there are people that need the gospel. Until that time, see, some of you are thinking, man, I'm, the, the, I know the rapture's coming soon. Man, I think I'll just stop paying my bills or whatever. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Man, I'm just going to plop down on the couch. I'm sealed. I'm... Scripture says he will come like a thief in the night and you want to be prepared. You want to be at work. You want to be serving. You want to be reaching those who do not have the hope that you have. We are to be busy about our father's business. As Jesus said, so you want to live with a healthy balance of understanding this. You don't want to be so heavenly minded, as some will say, that you're no earthly good. And yet at the same time, you also don't want to be so consumed in what's happening now that you that you lose hope because all you're looking at is the world right now and you're getting discouraged. You don't want to live with that kind of mentality either. You've got to remember that this life is temporary. It is very temporal. That's why Paul, another time, would talk about these bodies as tents. He was a tent maker. And he said, these bodies are going to come down like tents. A tent would indicate that it's not permanent, right? It's coming down. And so you want to live with a healthy balance. He says, we shall not proceed. What does that mean? Go before, gain an advantage over those who have fallen asleep. Those are the questions that were being asked. And he's saying, they're not going to be disembodied spirits. They're going to be in Jesus's powerful and mysterious way. He is going to give them a glorified body just as you will experience it in Jesus Christ. And you can rest in that. I don't have time to go into what the glorified body is going to is going to be like or look like. You can study that more for yourself and maybe we'll preach on it on another Sunday. But let's just say that it's going to be glorified, right? It's going to be amazing, for God's glory, not just for our own, will we eat? Jesus ate in his glorified body. Amen. Right. And so it's good to know. Now, he did eat some fish. Just saying. All right. But all Christians alive and dead when Jesus comes will be at the rapture. Nobody will be left. Nobody who is in Jesus Christ. And again, others may see this a little different and that's OK. But but listen, what happens that actually gives us hope? First thing that happens is this, it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Notice that it's not a substitute that's being sent for you and for me. The Lord Jesus himself is coming. The, the bridegroom is coming for the bride of Christ. Amen. He's coming for us is what he says. No substitute. He's not sending an angel in his place. Jesus is coming. It says he will descend from heaven. Why? Because that's where he has been. When he ascended, he ascended to the right hand of the father where he is seated, where he advocates and intercedes for us, for our sins. He functions as our high priest. As Satan comes accusing, he says, nope, that one's covered in the blood of the lamb. Amen. And he is waiting for the father to give him the word, son, go get him. When that is given, it says with a cry of command, that's a shout when, when this command is given with the voice of an archangel, so perhaps an archangel, Michael, or one of them is with him, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the trumpet of God was an announcement to a calling of a gathering, a great gathering, and the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. So Paul's answering their question with a shout. That word shout or that cry of command is a military term. It would be like when an officer walks into a room of subordinates and someone goes, Tin hut! It's a call of attention. It's a call to stand up. That's what it means. He's saying, church, stand up to attention whenever I come. I'm coming for you. That's what he says. And, and so the point Paul is making is this, is that these who have preceded us in death, who are in Jesus Christ, they're not going to be second class citizens. They are not going to miss out on the great gathering. In fact, your dear loved ones who have died are going to go first. 
They go first. It's an encouraging thing that he gives them. The dead in Christ will, will rise first. I love that phrase, the dead in Christ. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're always in Christ, whether you're alive or you're dead. And when you die, that body goes into the grave. That body reposes in Christ and sleep, and it belongs to him. And this is eternal possession. And he will reclaim it from the decomposed dust, from, from that which it enters into. Paul says in Romans 8, what does he say? He says that neither death nor life nor anything shall ever be able to separate you from the love of Christ. Amen? Not even death. You see how it changes everything. You have a different kind of outlook, a different kind of hope. Especially for those of you who have lost your loved ones in Christ. Dead in Christ, rise first. What good news that is. There will be a reunion. Amen? There will be a reunion with that beloved wife who died in Christ. With that beloved husband. That beloved son or or daughter or friend who died in Christ. Who meant so much to you. It is not the end of them. There will be a reunion. And what rises out of the grave is a glorified body to already meet a glorified spirit. The next sequence is in verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be, what does it say? Caught up. That's where that word rapture comes from. We'll be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And now let this comfort your hearts, believer. And so we will always be with the Lord. Life's hard right now, isn't it? This is not all that there is. You will be with him forever and ever and ever. Are are, are you letting that sink in? Are you feeling that? Forever in the presence of the Lord. Changes everything. We will always be with the Lord. We will be snatched out. This irresistible force plucked out of this world Snatched from the fallen world, from the decaying and decayed flesh, snatched out of the grave, snatched away from the wrath of God, snatched away from from Satan's grasp and influence over this world. You see, it's a rescue operation. That's what it is. Caught up together with them. We will all have part in this gathering together is what he says, whether whether dead in Christ or alive in Christ. And, and, and how about this for some comfort? And we will always be with them. So what's the benefit, you say? What is this given to me for? I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, is what he says. The, 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 the benefit for you is as you live in this present and evil world is here's what you can now have as a result of knowing these things. You have you some peace, right? You have peace now that, that, that goes beyond a comfort. You have hope. You have a joy In spite of the hardship, you have a purpose in knowing uh, that you are to be busy about the father's business. You have security. You have a different perspective. You're different now because of Christ. Now he's going to close with this and I close with this. Therefore, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I don't know about you, but whenever whenever I read that. I feel encouraged. I feel encouraged to know that this isn't all that there is. I feel encouraged to know that this is just just temporal. And that our Lord, whether I die before he returns or not, I'm still going to be caught up. I'm still going to be in the presence of the Lord always. It's a comforting passage. It's often shrouded, this, when you speak of the rapture, shrouded in mystery because it's always seen from a pastoral viewpoint of comforting believers that were grieving. And he's saying, don't worry about that loved one that has died. Don't be bogged down with that continual spiral of evil in this world. When we look at the world, we get often can get so bent out of shape. And it's almost like we as believers can, can kind of view it as if it's out of control. Right? I'm not sure where the... <laughs> a little, little drama there adding in. Um, It's almost as if we look at it as it's out of control. But listen to this. Hear this. Here here is what he's saying. Comfort each other. God is sovereign over all. He's not up in heaven going, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? I'm worried about this. That is funny, isn't it? 
God is sovereign. And he is coming again. I want to ask you just to pray with me. Be encouraged. Live with hope. Live with anticipation. God's got this. Right? He's got it. Even if you suffer now, it is only temporal and light affliction from what lies ahead for the one who is sealed in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Can you just thank him right now? If you're a believer, just thank him right now. Just tell him, worship him. Give him thanks for this truth. Give him thanks for this hope. That he changes everything. That the, the reality of death has even changed for you. For those that maybe have preceded you in death who are in Jesus Christ, rejoice that they are in His presence and they will be given a glorified body at His return. You know, death is a frightful thing when there's no faith, when there's no word from God. We ache for those in our world who have no hope who live with that terrible despair of final partings and hopelessness. I've done funerals where the person was not a believer. And it is a hard funeral to preach because you know that it is a hopeless funeral. Jesus changes everything. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He's been pursuing you all of your life. And if you'll believe in him for eternal life, he has come for you. He's been wooing you to himself because he loves you. God proved his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Place your faith in Jesus Christ while your eternity is sealed in him. Call on him now. Say, Jesus, save me. I believe you are who you say you are, God. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe that you can give me eternal life. I may not even understand all of the the different aspects of everything, but Lord, in childlike faith, I come to you now and I ask you to be my Savior. For those of you who have been grieving, I want to just pray for you now. Father, we thank you that we can have a hope in you. I ask you to comfort the hearts of your people this morning. Give us great anticipation. Give us great balance as we look to the the catching away. Help us to to move forward in letting others know about your love. Help us to see, Lord, that we have a hope that others need. Comfort our hearts, Lord, today. Give us a zeal and a fervor and an urgency to take the gospel to people who need it. Those who have lost loved ones who are in Christ, may their hearts be comforted today in knowing that there will be a great reunion because of you, Jesus. You conquered sin. You conquered death. Where, oh death, is your sting? Where is your victory? Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, not even death. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.